Welcome to St. Martin in the Fields and welcome to Great Sacred Music for those here in the building and those joining us online. Advent. Advent is the season when we look back to the first coming of Christ as a baby in Bethlehem and we look forward to the second coming of Christ on the clouds of glory, what has been revealed and what is yet to be revealed. The word Advent means coming, uh, so it refers to both the first and the second coming. The tradition uh, was until relatively recently that the four Sundays of Advent marked the great themes of death, judgment, heaven and hell, although that style of preaching has slightly gone out of fashion and been replaced by little donkeys on dusty roads. It uh, is our tradition at Great Sacred Music to begin by us all singing a hymn together and we're going to sing now one of the most interesting Advent hymns, interesting certainly in its complex history, 1500 years ago, the early monks marked the seven days leading up to Christmas Eve, assigning to each day one of the scriptural names of Jesus, Wisdom, Lord, Root of Jesse, Key of David, Morning Star, King of all peoples, and Emmanuel, God with us. Put together in Latin, the first letter of each title's title spells the word sarcor and what's the meaning of the word sarcor it actually doesn't have a meaning uh, but do not be afraid what you do is to read it backwards and you get the two latin words ero crass which means i will be here tomorrow so the resultant hymn is a secret code that contains the whole of christmas Jesus is coming, and the whole of Advent, the hope of his second coming. In the 13th century, a Latin monk made five of the antiphons into a hymn and added the chorus. And then along came the redoubtable J.M. Neal in the 19th century, who translated it into the form in which we sing it today in 1851. We'll sing it in just that form now, if we remain seated, the voices stand on and lead us on the inside of your sheets. You'll find four verses of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel.
Now we have two uh, ancient pieces relating to the themes of Advent and Christmas. To understand the Christmas story in its original context, you need to remember that round about 585 BC, the Babylonians invaded uh, the nation of Judah, what was left of the original Israel, uh, and carried off many of the elites to Babylon. The kingship came to an end, the temple was destroyed, the royal palace was destroyed, the walls of Jerusalem were destroyed, the promised land lay in foreign hands. Where then was resurrection to come from? How was Israel then to be restored? That was a lively debate through the centuries following uh, the exile, even after Israel returned from exile around about 530 BC. And what you get, what you get at your nine lessons and carol service, what you get in the later books of the Old Testament is a discussion about how Israel is to be reconstituted. And one of the themes that emerges is to say that while all of those things had been lost, the royal line hadn't actually died out. That, so this line about it, from the stump of Jesse, the imagery is of a tree being cut off uh, and yet a little shoot coming out of the stump of Jesse. In other words, the descendants of David, Jesse being David's father, uh, followed all the way down to the, to, to the 6th century and followed even through the exile all the way down to Jesus' time. And one of those descendants was Joseph. Now I hear you say that's all very well, but if we take the virgin birth principle, Joseph didn't have a whole lot to do with the lineage of Jesus. That is a bit of a problem, which the New Testament wrestles with. Um, so we have this slightly different strand by which Mary became uh, the virgin that in herself represented Israel. We'll come on to that in a moment. So what you get in a tender shoot that we're going to hear first is a kind of blending of these two traditions. You've got reference to the stump of Jesse, the tender shoot, the name of the anthem, but you've also got reference to Mary, which is bringing in a slightly different tradition uh, about how Jesus came to be born. So the second piece, Palestrina's Alma Redemptoris Martyr, is one of the four Marian antiphons that was traditionally sung between Advent and Candlemas uh, it, during these winter months, Candlemas following on, on the 2nd of February. Uh, and this is much more explicitly about Mary. And Mary, if you look closely at the New Testament and speak to New Testament scholars about her role in the narrative, represents two things all the time interplay. She represents everything that Israel is in her own body. She represents Israel. So if you remember at the wedding at Cana story, she pleads with Jesus to bring the abundance of new wine. That's read by the scholars, certainly the ancient scholars, as the symbol of Israel pleading with God to bring about salvation. Uh, but also in later years, she comes to represent the church. So she is a kind of uh, hinge figure that looks back to the Old Testament uh, heritage of Israel and looks forward to the destiny of the church. So we're going to hear these two quite subtle and, and complexly themed anthems, uh, a tender shoot and Alma Redemptoris Martyr.
Well, we're now going to hear a, a piece that goes back to the fourth century. The liturgy of St. James was one of the handful of liturgies that have been found from the fourth century, uh, which gives us an insight into the worship uh, of the early Christians and how they understood the Eucharist uh, to work. If you think about how people conventionally think about the Eucharist, there's probably three, three, three ways people think about the Eucharist as reenacting the Last Supper. People think about the Eucharist as anticipating the heavenly banquet uh, with God and the angels uh, eternally, and people think about the, the, the Eucharist as a fellowship meal amongst Christians trying to live faithful lives today. Those are probably the three standard ways of thinking about the Eucharist. This is a fourth. This is a, a notion of the Eucharist as, if you like, peeling back the membrane between earth and heaven and joining in the glory of God. That's very much the way let, let all mortal flesh keep silence. And if you think about the, I don't know if anyone here comes from a Church of Scotland background, but in a Church of Scotland tradition, when the bread and the wine are brought in and placed on the altar, although it's not usually called the altar in the Church of Scotland, people often sing Psalm 24 about opening wide the gates that the King of Glory might come in. Well, this is very much from that kind of tradition, although a little bit more uh, into the ritual than you might get in the Church of Scotland. It's the same idea of Advent as a sense of God's approaching majesty. Uh, so that, so I guess if, if, if while the voices are singing this, you imagine an elaborate procession of the bread and the wine to place them on the altar, and if you like, at that moment in the liturgy, the, the, the membrane between earth and heaven parting, and you being invited to join the glory of God, then you've got the idea of what's going on uh, in this uh, fourth century liturgy.
now it's time for us to sing together again. Again, we'll remain seated and the voices will uh, lead us. Uh, if O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is the definitive Advent hymn that looks forward to the coming of the Christ child, then the definitive Advent hymn that looks forward to the last day has to be Lo, He Comes with Clouds Descending, adapted by Charles Wesley from a hymn by John Kennick and published in 1758. This is a hymn of extraordinary faith that our final salvation is in the bag and therefore we need not uh, worry in this life. If um, the tune writer's name, Thomas Olivers, sounds a little bit familiar, uh, he is the author of the hymn, The God of Abraham Praise, which you may well also know. Uh, there's great controversy over uh, the verse we're not going to be singing today, the one that includes uh, the line uh, about those who set an, at naught uh, and nailed him to the tree, deeply wailing when they see their true, true Messiah. It's often understood to be a, an anti-Jewish line, which I think is a little bit unfair. I think it refers actually to all, um, all humanity who are held responsible for the crucifixion of Christ. Anyway... We're going to dodge that one today by not singing that, that verse. There is only one way to sing this hymn, and that is at maximum volume. I'm just saying.
Well, we're coming towards the end of Great Sacred Music uh, for this week. Lots of ways to contribute to our life of music and social care and worship here at St. Martin's. Uh, do look on the back of the sheets for a, a text, a, a swipe of a credit card, uh, and even such a wonderful thing as cash. Uh, we hope you'll come back to GSM's going up to Christmas, taking a more Christmassy theme in the weeks to come. And then this is a, always a special day in the year for St. Martin the Fields because uh, tonight we have the lighting of the, the lights on the Norwegian Christmas tree in Trafalgar Square. No doubt you'll be having a nice lunch downstairs. You'll go across the road for the uh, lighting of those lights and then you'll be coming back for the 7.30 concert where you'll hear the voices again. So we've got the whole of the day sorted out for you. Uh, don't you worry. Do pop downstairs to the box office if you want to pick up tickets for tonight's or any of our concerts leading up to Christmas, which are always a treat. Uh, and then, of course, on, on Sunday, we'll be launching the BBC Radio 4 with St. Martin Fields Christmas Appeal at 7.54 a.m. on Sunday. Get your alarms set for 7.50, maybe give you four minutes to get ready. Now, we're going to finish with People Look East. Uh, a poem written by Eleanor Fargen in 1928. Uh, Eleanor Fargen, uh, a native of London, devout Catholic, achieved acclaim as an author of children's nursery rhymes and singing games, best remen remembered for her poem, Morning Has Broken, which I think in contemporary jargon went viral. She actually declined a damehood explaining that she did not wish to become different from the milkman. Well, she's been a remembered <clears throat> a good deal longer than the milkman, <clears throat> even without her damehood. Uh, and this has become a much-loved Advent poem that defines love in the first stanza as guest, and then subsequently as rose, and bird, and star, and lord. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>